RPG lessons learned. When the game is over, when your players are gone, that's when lessons are learned. Hello, Brian. Hey, Dusty. How's it going? It's going well. It's just the two of us today. Yeah, it's weird. Mike's not being here. Yeah, well, I guess anniversaries are are more important. Is it his anniversary? He it is. That's that's what he said in his uh, in his pitiful ex- excuse of an email this morning. God, it doesn't feel like it. <laughs> I, I guess it was like this time of year that they got married. Yeah, it was. Recording RPG lessons learned this week, uh, episode twenty one. We're going to talk about another one of our Pathfinder sessions from our beginner box campaign. It, it doesn't feel like. This was an early Pathfinder game for us. And it, it was, yeah. It doesn't feel like it. It feels very recent. You know, um, Mike and I talked last episode about the recap emails. Brian, I, I swear, I think the recap emails have really helped keep the game top of mind for us. I think so. I love it. And it's a lot of work, and thank you for doing it. No, no worries. The recap emails are, are, are worth the effort. So, um, again, this is RPG Lessons Learned. I'm sure you've listened before, but if you haven't, why not? But in all seriousness, uh, this is the show where we review our own games, we dissect them, we discuss them, and we come up with lessons that we've learned, or should have learned. <laughs> should have learned sometimes. Yeah, should have learned sometimes, during our own sessions. So uh, listen to us make mistakes so that you don't have to make them yourself. Uh, I'll throw out a little disclaimer, too. Brian, are we the best gamers in the world? <laughs> no. <laughs> I, so, uh, especially listening. So, I only listen to one uh, play podcast. That's Shadow of the Cabal. I've yeah. been listening. I really like it. Um, and it's it's obvious by listening to that they have their stuff far better put together when it comes to a play aspect than we do. We are very. Um, oh man, I, I would say that we're probably more like the average crew of players are they probably laugh a lot more joke a lot more make a lot of more lewd comments and crude comments than i think there are things we do very well and i think uh especially the tomb of horrors game probably illustrated that that we mm-hmm. played but i think when it comes to like how we play i think our style is probably a little uh base but i want to <laughs> emphasize that but the reason i love doing the show is we're not putting ourselves out there as the exemplar pinnacle of of gming or the pinnacle of great gaming. We're ordinary guys with jobs and families and wives and kids, and we get together every two weeks and we game, and we have a great time, and and gaming can be for everyone. You don't have to be Matt Mercer. You don't have to be Chris Perkins to run a good game. Uh, you don't have to be Tanner from Shadow of the Cabal, fantastic GM. We had him on the show, um, really thinks about his games and really presents gaming in a much more serious light than, than than we do it in our group and that's okay there's all sorts of gaming for all sorts of audiences but i want to emphasize that we're not putting ourselves out there as the pinnacle end-all be-all we're just some guys who are fumbling our way through it and we're trying to learn from it i mean if we were the pinnacle be-all end-all we wouldn't have any lessons to learn we would know going in yeah, that's true all right so this week's game uh the uh, later dubbed it the haunted tower so how how far just real quick how far removed are you from naming these from when you we actually play is that just an exercise for the podcast or are you doing it uh no before the podcast i was i, I started naming these in the recap emails i kind of like the idea of maybe if if obviously we could throw we could throw you for a loop and completely do something completely different but I, maybe just have in your mind what it is called going in Maybe it could help. Maybe not. It could help uh, anchor you to what. 
I, never mind. I don't want you to. I don't want you to bully us into going in the direction <laughs> that you want to go. Yeah, I always name them later for exactly that reason. I always name them later for exactly that reason because you know something happens or we discover some of the gameplay that's interesting, and that's when I name the the the, the, the session for the recap email. So this was the haunted tower, and let's let. We've talked in previous episodes about how the character sheet can really encourage players, you guys, um, and and to to have your characters act as sociopaths. Yeah. If you base your whole game on the character sheet, then you're all about gold and experience and and powers and abilities and leveling up. But in this episode, or, or in this session that we played, you guys were sent to investigate strange lights in a tower. Um, and my intent was that you discover and and basically fight and banish a ghost and instead you befriended it is this a sign that your uh, sociopath days are coming to an end are they behind you i don't i don't think that we've been sociopaths i think that like you said if you adhere just to collecting gold and xp that yes you could become a sociopath but in no game i mean i actually feel bad about in playing a game, whether it's an RPG, going back to the Dusk episode, I am still bugged by that. Or whether it's playing Skyrim. When I play Skyrim, you know, I don't, I, you know, my character is not a paladin. I, he's not a paladin because that's not an option. But I play him like he's a paladin. He's lawful good. And typically, if I play a character, I play them lawful good. And you've said that before. So, so maybe this isn't really a question for you. Maybe let's let's talk about the other players for a minute. So, Mike, Chris, we're about to talk about you. I, I, I think Mike is probably also is sort of in that mindset i think mike is typically he plays his characters maybe not lawful good but they're 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 good i think i don't think that his characters are evil or neutral so you think befriending the ghost was perfectly in character for you guys no so so that's the thrust of this question is what's changed i think we got caught up in sort of the style of so we've been playing this especially a lot of these games almost like almost like we're cops and I don't want to get too far ahead of this, but this game ended up revolving around some guards. Yeah, it did. So it's almost like there was a, fr- even though we're not guards, there's almost like a fraternity that I feel that was betrayed, that we feel was betrayed. And we played it. We played the game like we were avenging a brother in a lot of ways, because my character, I kind of play him off as a fop. He- so so before you go to, before you go further then. Let's talk about the avenging the, the brother aspect. So I talked about you uh, you befriending this ghost instead of uh, instead of banishing him. And jokingly, what I said to you before we started recording today is that I was going for a Ghostbusters game. I was going to set up a game where you fight this ghost and then maybe some other ghosts crop up in later sessions. And I was really going to set up the supernatural Ghostbusters type um, problem for several sessions. But instead, you you talked to the ghost. You made some really, you know, or, or Mike as the cleric playing Kyra made some really stellar religion checks. Um, used some spirituality. Was able to talk to the ghost and figure out that it had been murdered, basically left to starve to death in the tower, and that the, and that the victim was a former guard. So that's the betrayal you're talking about. Yeah. Is you basically went from, hey, let's banish this ghost, to, hey, let's solve this ghost's murder. So, jokingly, what I said to you before we started recording is that I, I tried to have a game like Ghostbusters, and I wound up with a game like Ghost. <laughs> I've not watched Ghost, so I'll just have to take your word <laughs> for it. The Patrick Swayze Demi Moore movie, where, where <laughs> it basically revolves around this wrongfully murdered guy and figuring out why he was murdered and, and sort of getting 
revenge or, or, or making that right. So that's where we wound up is, is making his murder right. Yeah, I think there's probably an episode of DuckTales similar to that that I would probably jump to. I can't think of it off the top of my head. So, yeah, not so, much goes because I just think of the scene with the clay pot and everything. Yeah. Did you realize, though, at the time that you were completely changing my no, plan no and idea. that I was adapting on the fly? No. you do. A, I think you do a great job of adapting on the fly. And, um, no, I, I unless we are just clearly and obviously – trying to be jerks and do what we want to do other than what's obvious that it's obvious that you've laid out. Um, I, I don't think we have an, any idea when that happens for the most part because it, there's the fluidity of, of the game. I mean, it, it allows you to do that. It's not like they're invis- invisible walls that we can't walk through. We have to, we're constrained to real sort of a, a semi uh, recreation of reality in, in, in the game. And we can basically do what we want. And if it makes sense to do it, if it's logical, we often do it. So here's what I struggle with. So I, I agree with everything you just said, but I feel weird about it sometimes. And, and, and let me get really specific, right? So I like the idea as GM that I commit in my head to what's happened before we sit down at the table. I commit to what's going on with the villains. I commit to what's going on with the antagonists. And if you cleverly figure out a way out of that, then great. I've committed and you were clever. And that's what makes RPGs different from novels and movies. But when I change that commitment. So here, here's what happened in this game for me, right? I'm picturing the ghost being a bad guy. Um, in fact, the actual ghost monster in the Pathfinder Beginner Box would have would have way outclassed you guys. Um, so I was using a, a Will-O-Wisp, a Will-O-The-Wisp as the actual monster, even though I was calling it a ghost. It was a strange flickering light. It was the Will-O-The-Wisp. And that's what you guys were going to fight. It was going to be a pretty tough fight. Um, it was incorporeal. There are just a lot of aspects and interesting mechanics that I was looking forward to. So in my head, that was the antagonist. And yes, he'd been murdered, but in my head, his spirit had kind of been tainted by the anger that built up and being murdered by being locked in a room to die of of exposure, of thirst and starvation. So to me, he was clearly the bad guy. And when you guys were befriending him and nailing these roles, I had this moment where I had to say to myself, okay, in my head, I knew who was the villain. And in my head... It was a really good fight with interesting mechanics and something that we'd never done before, which is an incorporeal antagonist. And I was like, all right, step back. I'm going to change things on the fly to make this ghost no longer tainted with anger, but instead just kind of bewildered by what happened to him so that you can't. I I could tell you guys wanted to help this ghost, so I made the ghost able to be helped. And what I struggle with, Brian, is did I do the right thing? Or should I have stayed committed? <laughs> this is all the philosophical conversation that these games bring forth. So, in reality, if, say, God, it's almost like, going back to the cop metaphor, it's like an episode of Law & Order or something. Uh, there's somebody on the street who was treated terribly, and they are lashing out, they're committing crime, they become a violent offender. You know, yeah, something terrible happened in their past that caused it, but are they willing to accept help? Some people are, some people aren't, some people you have to work at it, some people you can never work at it. So going in, if it's somebody that could be helped, I mean, how do you, I mean, how do you define that? Is that like a will check? I mean, how would you even, like, no, I just, I just, right. I, I just changed it. I know, but I'm just saying, how could 
we've approached it that would have fit the mechanics without you having to feel that you change things. Um, I mean, I guess I could have required a charisma check before I changed my mind, but to me, it was so clear that you guys wanted to figure out what had happened to this port. Once you realized that the trap door had been nailed shut and you found the kind of the fingernail marks where he had tried to claw through and you found his remains and you realized that he starved to death up here, your outrage at that and your sincere desire to help him I just couldn't make it a check that you would fail. I, I just, you guys were so ready to be empathetic to this ghost's plight that I just didn't have it in me to have you turn around and fight him. So is this a story straight out of the box? No, not at all. Part of part of what I want to get across to the audience, a great question. Part of what I want to get across to the audience about the Beginner Box campaign, the box only has the one... No, I'm sorry, two. It has a solo adventure, very brief. It has a longer dungeon, Black Fang's dungeon. And then it has it has a a couple of adventure seeds, which of all the adventure seeds that are in there, the only one we've touched was the uh uh pig tongue the ogre. Gotcha. This was not one of the seeds. It just has it's just the beginner box has a bunch of monsters. And I'm completely making up my own stories with these monsters. Then I think it's entirely okay that you did what you did. Because there's no other somebody it wasn't somebody else. Honestly, even if it was someone else's story with an, a beginning, a middle, and an end that they saw coming, you know, it's up to us to play through it. But I think that you have more freedom considering it was your story to do what you did. I think you were entirely okay to have done that. But I can't always give you guys what you want. No, no it's not about giving us what you want. I mean, I think there has to be a level of what you want as well or what makes sense. Like if you felt in the moment that it, logically made sense thematic uh dramatically made sense and uh from a gameplay perspective made sense to do what you did great if you feel that you had to violate something to do that that's when i think there's a problem with it so how do i write this down as a, as a what's the lesson to be learned here what, what how do we sum this up if the framework that's set up allows something to happen and it doesn't violate any type of logic or any type of storytelling or anything like that you let happen what happens i don't i there's certain there's a certain level where things have to be scripted and a certain level where things aren't so here's what i'm gonna write down if you can change the game to give the players the story they want yeah it's not like the, it's not like the ghost was mindless or the ghost I mean, if the ghost had been played as mindless there's no way we could have done what we did and to me, it's it's good improv, right? Like like you were giving me that you wanted to be empathetic. So rather than saying no, I, I, I'm going along with the story that you want to tell. So I'll shorten it. If you can, give the players the story they want. Yeah, I think that's entirely fair. So I had to come up with all the stuff about the guard. So, so I knew it had starved to death. I, I knew the will of the wisp had starved to death. But you guys befriending it. I had to come up with a name, really quick. I had to come up with uh, who killed him and and why, really quick. I had to do all of that um, very rapidly to make the game work. And that that was a bit stressful. That was a bit like, okay, I'm gonna go with this. Let, let me let me take a minute here and think about that. So while you guys talked amongst yourselves. I was sitting there just like scribbling notes furiously trying to come up with names for this murdered guard and names for the guards that did it and why did they do it and where might they be? And the you're right, the game completely changed from Ghostbusters to 
you guys chasing down some very human murderers. So when you finally, you went to Shalalu, you told her that, that you figured out why the tower was haunted, that one of her former guards was up there. She realized who it must have been, one that she thought had run away. Um, you guys went, and, and she told you who, who was that guard's captain who had retired years ago. You went and confronted that guy. He brought in some friends. You finally had a combat. This was toward the end of the session. You finally had a combat. Boy, did we. Even in that combat, which was very chaotic, very, very chaotic, um, you guys didn't kill. You guys had this outrage at what had happened to this ghost, and you still didn't kill the people that had done it. Yeah. So talk to me about that. Like, like, like. So in my mind, I, I think I feel that I'm probably speaking for the other guys in this. I think they would probably agree, especially Mike. In my mind, the guards are, at one point at least, were reasonable people. I think there's some reason they became a guard, whether it was, I, I, I hope, and I'm not, I, I hope I'm not projecting, but I hope it was because they wanted to do something right. They wanted to see order in place. They wanted to make sure justice was in place, and they didn't just become guards to, you know, make money or to be corrupt. We, I, I'm projecting, but I'm assuming that probably happened along the way. Um, so we had, I guess, moral outrage that they would commit this murder. But we also know that they are logical, rational people. And to a guard, it is much more fitting that they see justice through the court system than through just being killed. Because our none of our characters are bloodthirsty. Like, uh, well, maybe, uh, maybe Chris is a little bit sometimes. I don't know. I think Valerius is kind of a lovable drunk. Uh, I think Chris. I don't know. Well, I think you're thinking about some of Chris's previous rogue characters, possibly. <laughs> okay, I guess I'm confusing Valeros with Nathan's character. Yes, you are. You're, you're, Mercial. Mercial is is blood- everything you said. If you apply it to Mercial, makes sense. Makes sense. Okay, so. Yes. Mercy, and Mercial is the rogue? Yes. Okay, that's what, because Chris has always been the rogue. Yeah, we, we, yes. Yeah, so I'm, yeah, uh, I'm, yeah. So it makes sense. So, um, other than Mercial, I think all of our characters are generally good people. Even Ezrin, in his core, is a good person. He may do terrible things, but they're not terrible things in a, uh, uh, way that, hurts other people he does terrible things in ways that just make him look like a terrible person i think in in his core though he's a he's a good guy we feel that there has to be some justice for this and it's not just about killing these guards need to face their accuser obviously the accuser the person who's murdered is dead but they need to face our sense our modern sense of what justice is so i love it when you show this kind of feeling about the game but it doesn't always happen no it doesn't how did i how, how did i accidentally or 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 on purpose make it like what's the lesson to take away from here how can i make you in future games feel the sense of conviction and justice and hunger to go after the right thing what did i do here so let me sort of come around and say so Shalalu, I think, is a character that we really connected with. Now, we by have, the way, yeah. Shalalu is is captain of the guard, not in the yes. box as written, yeah. but in my version of of Sandpoint. Just for those listening at home. So, even though Shalalu doesn't really like us as players, we have connected with her, not as characters. Okay, yes. So, 
we know that what happened to this guard is something that Shalala would take personally. Oh, and, and at this point, you had already reported to her what yeah. you found. And, and she, she was she shaken. She took it hard. She yeah. was shaken. But as someone that we like very much, we feel a sense of, we feel committed that we have to actually go and make sure that this is handled and it's handled in the right way. So that's interesting. So as as a way to not manipulate your emotions, right, but to trigger your emotions. It's, it's totally... You can say you can say manipulate. manipulate. That's fair. It's fair. So in a previous episode, I, I mentioned genuine feeling from players is so hard to come by that I, I generally run kind of a sandbox until we happen across something that triggers that genuine feeling, and then I capitalize on it. So you're saying that you had genuine feeling for Shalalu, and a lot of the essays that you read online or that you see online are, are "Hey, we care about this NPC, so the DM killed her." <laughs> so rather than killing her. You care about her. So if I make her outraged at something, you care about what she cares about. Yeah, and I don't want to spoil any of our further episodes, but I mean, this uh, this case weighed heavily on Chililu. Oh, yeah, yeah, plus some other things that happened later. Yeah, and this, this was the beginning of an arc for her. I, it's how I feel, anyway. Yeah, and, and in fact, uh, we've already recorded episode 24, Exactly. Where, where we'll discuss some some additional things that happen that, that kind of send Shalalu off the deep end a little bit. Um, that's actually my next... So, so let, let, before we talk about Shalalu more, let's come back to the lesson. So, is the lesson leverage NPC relationships to, to manipulate? I think it's look for look for any kind of way to manipulate. If it if it helps the story and you can manipulate... I mean, look, I don't know, man. I, I feel like if there's, it, it'd be really easy to write it down as the lesson and then try that. And then all of a sudden, every game is me tugging at your heartstrings and you being like, oh. Well, it's got to work, though. It just can't be like a cheap attempt. So in my mind, the most manipulative movie that I've ever watched is Star Wars Episode Seven. It, okay. It, is the mo- it goes after all the Star uh, the Episode Four beats. It tries, it tugs at your heartstrings in all the right ways. And I watch it and I love it. And after it's over, I'm like, God, that was so manipulative. But I don't care. And I watch it again. <laughs> So you got to do a good job of it. So it's not just be cheap about it, but know when to do it. Know when you know what will help. Know what will create high highs and low lows, and aim for that. Okay. So to write this down succinctly for a lesson learned, is it is it take real emotion and shape it? Yeah. Let's talk about Shalalu. So th- this was the beginning of of her starting to get rattled. Like, Sandpoint had been this kind of idyllic place. She had this guard force, but there really was no major crime or issues or incidents that she knew about. So she's kind of living this happy-go-lucky, easy, cushy life, being an elvish captain of this human guard force, um, training them, watching them retire, mentoring them, etc. It's been very comfortable for her. And then you guys come in, and you expose all sorts of things that she doesn't know about, and you expose this murder to her. That happened on her watch like 30 or 40 years ago. Um, or well, I think it was more like 20 years ago. Uh, you exposed this murder. And then the guards who did it went on and had careers with her and retired from working with her. And now they're in their late 40s, early 50s. They're in their 20s at the time. And uh, they're still retired in their fairly upstanding citizens of Sandpoint. And you go after them for the murder and they confess. And she's completely rocked by that. 
I definitely played that up. Like, and 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 the question I want to ask is, is she annoying? And the reason I want to ask it is because the last guard captain that we had in Fallcrest was Nathan Faringray, and he was completely unflappable the way I played him. Matter of fact, gave you missions. Nothing ever bothered him. I used him to calm you guys down and to give you context about the world and to try to talk you out of killing people because he, <laughs> he was the voice of reason. But in this game, one major thing that I picked up on right away because you've matured as players in your sense of drama, you don't need a voice of reason in this game. You need some more drama. And I'm using her as a source of drama. Is that annoying? Is she whiny? I don't think she's whiny. Uh, I don't think she's whiny at all. Um, I think of her as talking about uh, like movie tropes. If this were a, if this were a, a college uh, bikini movie, she would be the dean of the school, and she would be the one who is just we're always trying to we have we have respect for, but is also sort of in a lot of ways sort of standing in our way of doing what we want to do. It's an antagonistic respect. It's an antagonistic. It's but an antagon- then when you graduate, there's a single tear in her eye. Exactly. Ex- ex- exactly. I love that. Okay. So I, I don't know if there's another lesson there. I mean, again, it, it's it's kind of another flavor of that take real emotion and shape it. I, yeah. think, I'm, I think I'm comfortable with that. Uh, and you know what? There's a lot of use your NPCs to challenge your players. And we, I think Mike and I talked a little bit about if your NPC just goes along, if, if NPCs go along with whatever you guys say, that's not interesting. I like that NPCs have thoughts and feelings of their own and separate personalities. And I'll, I'll probably talk in a different episode about how I've matured to be able to achieve separate personalities for NPCs. Um, this game, Brian, created a real hunger for a follow-up courtroom drama. Like, when we closed this game out, I think it was Nathan who was the first to say, I want to see this go to trial, and I want to be in the audience when it goes to trial. We wanted to, uh, so we wanted a sense of final- finality uh, that we normally wouldn't get. You know, like you know, they lived happily ever after. The, the The criminals went to jail and they served, you know, the rest of their lives. <laughs> but I think again, you know, I, I was wrong earlier. What I didn't go from Ghostbusters to Ghost, where you where where, you, where Patrick Swayze gets avenged. You went from Ghostbusters, Ghostbusters two. I went from Ghostbusters to Law and Order. Law and Order, yes. Because what you guys wanted, so so a lot of cop shows end when the bad guy gets arrested. You guys wanted to go on to Law and Order, yeah. And have the second half of the episode, which takes place in the courtroom. Yeah. You wanted it to go all the way to conviction. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, again, we took it personal. Um, we felt that uh, we needed, they needed to see justice, and we wanted to see it happen. And For sessions. I mean, sessions. You we, guys were like, when are we going to do the courtroom drama? When are we going to do the courtroom drama? I was scared to do the courtroom. I had never done, like, how on earth in a game of uh, in an RPG tabletop session, how on earth am I going to manage a courtroom drama where you guys are mostly audience members and not participants, but the whole genre of RPGs is an active participating um, way of telling stories. And I came up with a solution, and I don't want to get too much into that because we'll talk about that solution in that episode. But I want to talk about the hunger that this created and and, and you know, your your desire for that session. Is is it yet another flavor of take real emotion and shape it? I tripped across some real emotion here, and it just made this hunger for more and more and more. Yeah, I think it, uh, in a lot of ways also, I think it's just a, us wanting to play through this, the tropes of like a cop drama. Like in that law and order, like you said, the law and order setting, We it would not have felt complete unless we did that. It was a matter of just playing out the story as 
the kind like a lot of a lot of the games that we've played it's been we're either trying to play through classic rpg tropes or storytelling tropes and i think there's a sense of completionism that we that we have oftentimes when it comes to doing things like that there are experiences that we we want to have and we want to do and we know that yeah we play every two weeks but there's so much to do if we don't get that thing now we may never get it not that you're not good about coming back to things but it's also just satisfying that appetite while we still have that appetite and i'll point out to to the audience that i feel a lot of pressure right now we're nearing the end of this Pathfinder campaign right now, and Brian has openly challenged me at the end of multiple sessions, hey, I know the end is coming, and I want this campaign to end. I don't want it to stop. I want it to end with a satisfying, concluding ending. And I tell you, Brian, I've been putting a lot of thought. I've got pages and pages of notes of different ideas tracing back through all of our sessions so far to tie it up and make it part of this overall broader story that ends. And I, I, I'm really excited in seeing what that is. And I know that in a lot of ways I've been a bad player because I know that Ezrin has a story that's been set up that I have almost, I, that I have pretty much completely forsaken because it's not been of, um, it's not been something that I have personally, like I, I wanted to make the character my own more or less. I take his stats and maybe a little something about him and then turned that into something, and his backstory is not... Yeah, his father was imprisoned or murdered or something like that. I don't I, I don't even remember the specifics around it, because it's, that's not important <laughs> but to that's me. that's okay. I'm okay with that. But the game, what we've done collaborative, collaboratively as players, and you as the GM, I think we've created, like, I don't know, there's like a... There's a, a sense of camaraderie that we have with these players, with these characters that are different than the sense of camaraderie that we've created with other characters we've played in the past. So there's almost like um, a period in our lives that are defined by these... Which characters we're playing. Which characters we're playing. So there's a lesson learned here that I want to somehow capture. And this is this is the last one on the show uh, for this episode. It's, it's something to do with endings and conclusions because the last two conversations we've had briefly have been concluding on the courtroom drama and seeing it through its end. And then because of that concluding and ending and satisfying ending, it reminded me of you challenging me for a satisfying ending to the campaign. What is the succinct lesson learned here from this session about a satisfying ending? How do I write this down? How do I put this on the whiteboard? God, I wish I knew. I mean, this is, this is one of those things that there are authors who write brilliant stories, but they can never resolve them. And for those, you just have to, you just have to live with the journey being worth the effort and not having a satisfying conclusion. So question for you. When you watch movies and the movies like, okay, Animal House, uh, any movie that does this, um, when the movie has that section of text at the end where it touches on every main character and kind of what happened to them for the rest of their lives, are you good with that or are you bad with that? I don't care. You don't care? So I'm thinking of a recent movie that came out um, without spoiling too much. It was uh, Hollywood Blonde. It was uh, basically a Cold War era spy movie. It was a fun movie. It was an entertaining movie. And Do you mean Atomic Blonde? What did I say? Hollywood Blonde, <laughs> which is a wrestling team, the Hollywood Blondes. Hollywood Blondes. Did I, say, I can't believe I said the Hollywood Blondes. You did. I'm going to fix that. 
You just leave it in. I think it's great. No, I, um, think, I think it's terrible. Okay. You're a wrestling fan. The Hollywood Blondes were a, were a tag team. But the, the movie itself was... That was a Stone Cold Steve Austin tag team, by the way, for those of you who... Uh, was Stunning Steve Austin at the time. Stunning Steve Austin and Brian Pillman. Fine, Brian Pillman, yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, the movie was fun. The movie was exciting. The ending spoiler 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 i'm not, not going to spoil the okay. i'm not going to spoil the ending but i'll say that it was multi-layered and it felt tacked on and i had to wrestle with that did i like this movie did i not like this movie it the ending certainly colored my opinion of it but i still enjoyed it but i didn't enjoy it as much as i would have if the ending had made sense for the journey that i was taking along with so um, what's a movie or book that had an ending that was satisfying? I, I want to try to figure out what makes a satisfying ending. Oh man, that's a great that's a great one. What's it, or better yet, better yet, so they don't have spoilers out there, and so it's topical. What's a session that I've run in the past that had a really satisfying ending? <laughs> well, definitely not Dusk. <laughs> okay. Um. So most of the sessions that we've run in the past. Okay. So. I can only think of a one shot, like a one shot where I felt really satisfied with the ending because the endings almost always have to either be something along the lines of like an Empire Strikes Back where, oh, God, I can't wait till the next game to do X or we're left at the status quo like with The Simpsons where every episode's left with the status quo. So I can only think of a one shot, but I'm thinking uh, think, thinking I'm thinking of the, um, the 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 game on the ship that we haven't talked about yet. And that was a satisfying ending? That was a satisfying ending. Because we wrapped it up with a bow, and it was all well and good. So the wrap-up is what you're looking for. The wrap-up. The loose ends. So what you're looking for, it's interesting. It's, so It's not It's not just that. It, it also it depends on the, the but game you don't, itself. But you don't go back to the status quo either. Exactly. Because back to the status quo, you have no loose ends, but you're back to the status quo. Yeah. So, so you want to not be back to the status quo. I'm not saying that. Something is different, but there are no loose ends. So you, you look at it this way. Um, so I'll tell you what we're, we're going down. Uh, this is this is this is why I love doing the show with you. I didn't know that I had a problem with endings, but I have. A I don't think I don't think you have a problem with endings. Oh, I, now after this conversation and thinking about it, I think that I do. I don't think that you do, and I'm intrigued by it. I'm going to write down the lesson learned is without knowing what it means yet. The lesson I'm going to write down is have a satisfying ending. But it depends depends on what you're ending. I mean, if you're ending a game where we're going to we're we're continuing through to another. Uh, session with the same characters i don't think you have to have an absurdly satisfying ending so is a better quote have an appropriate ending yeah appropriate ending all right let me cross out satisfying and go with appropriate all right let's sum up the lessons that we learned um all right if you can give the players the story they want so like a good improv team uh, your players are going down a road. If you can and it makes sense, go down the road with them. And I, th- I think we didn't talk about this in the discussion earlier, Brian. But it's jarring if I'm just if I if I as the GM just say, okay, I see where you guys are going, but that's not going to work. That can be jarring and 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 remove some player agency. So I think some give and take there. Don't always bow to the story the players want to tell. Yeah, absolutely. But the players are your partners at the table. So if you can bow. And all it costs you is a little bit of brain sweat. Absolutely. Then, then do it. Don't do a fan servicey game for the sake of doing a fan servicey game. Nobody wants to see that. Yep. But if they still, if the path they're going down still leads to conflict, and this one did, then do it. But also, I think you're really good at 
coming up with something on the fly for a DM who isn't. I mean, they would have to have a different lesson and maybe they can uh, adjust this lesson for themselves. So maybe they need to have some sort of contingency in place. So if you're not good at prescribing something, if you're not good at being uh, improvisational, you know, look at your story, try to figure out what you want, look for possible break breaking points, points that could break the game mm-hmm. and come up with like a couple of notes for a contingency in case you need to. So here's something that I do. I, I, Ever since this game, I've kept some regular humans in my back pocket as backup villains. And in this case, so so regular humans like bandits or gladiators or whatever, they're a pretty good villain to fall back on because you can always have some nefarious gang behind some stuff. So so I like have a backup villain. So I'm actually going to write that down as an alternate lesson learned. Have a backup villain or villains. All right. The next lesson we learned, take real emotion and shape it. Yeah. And we've had flavors of this in other episodes, but again it's that it's that sense that real emotion from your players is so hard to come by that when you see it, grab it with both hands, but don't be so eager to spend it all at once. If they love an NPC, don't instantly say, "Oh, I'm going to kill that NPC," and they're going to feel terrible because you've spent all your currency. And what what I learned from the session is using that NPC they care about if the, if they care about an NPC and I make that NPC care about something, that's a tool that I can use for longer than one session where that NPC dies. Yeah. So recognize your tools and cultivate your tools, but take real emotion and shape it. And then finally, and I still don't know what this means, but I'm eager to explore this. Have an appropriate ending. Think about your next session. And, and if you're trying to whip up a frenzy where they're eager for the next session, where they're finally going to encounter the boss, then maybe don't have the most satisfying ending in the world. Leave them wanting more. Yeah, exactly. I agree with that. But if you're ending a chapter or a campaign or something, tie up those loose ends and leave the world changed. If you type the loose ends and you're back to the status quo, your players didn't change anything. So have an appropriate ending. Tie up loose ends and leave the world forever altered or whip them into a frenzy and leave them wanting more, but start the session out knowing what kind of ending that you're going for. That's good. Yeah. That's RPG lessons learned this week. Thanks, Brian. I I really, this is a great example of why I love doing the show. I I legitimately, the conversation went down some roads I wasn't ready for, and I learned something this week. Thank you. I enjoy doing it. I also enjoy uh, this network of podcasts that we have. That's right. The tfradio.net. Or sorry, should I call it the TFRadio.net family shows, it's, or is it the RFC family? I shows? call it the RFC family of shows. The RFC, so the Radio Free Cybertron family. Of RFC shows. is the primary show, but it's also the network. Got it. Like, so if you go to the website, it says TF. It says Radio Free Cybertron. In the I corner. will change my language going forward. But Brian's right, and Brian has uh, an affiliate Amazon link on TFRadio.net to Amazon.com, and when you when you shop Amazon using that link, it lets Amazon know that you were referred there. From um, tfradio.net, from this the, the RFC family of shows. And Amazon charges you nothing extra, but they kick Brian a few cents on every transaction to, to, to say, hey, we recognize that this referral came from you. So if you shop Amazon, and Brian, we should link as much talking as we've done about the beginner box. We should link the beginner box from the show notes this episode. Yeah, that's. Uh, I think I actually have that in a template from um, an earlier recording that we did. Okay, we should do that. But the beginner box is a great product, and and all of these Pathfinder episodes in, in, in our in our show in our feed. If you go back and review those, 
every one of those was run using nothing other than than beginner box materials. All right, have a great week. Thank you for listening. People call them postmortems, evaluations, appraisals, reviews, retrospectives. We call them lessons learned, and we're sharing ours with you.